once we got to the big water, everything was going to plan. We're on Lake Michigan, heading towards Charlevoix, and the storm came in. And it was a, a big one, hucking 30, you know, 30 to 40 mile per hour winds. Welcome to the Adventure Deficit Podcast. Through our one-on-one interviews, we capture in-depth stories across a variety of subjects, emphasizing a new life lesson in every episode. We're on a mission to entertain, educate, and inspire you to embrace new challenges, push through fears, and get out there in search of your own adventures. We call it taking our medicine, and we invite you to join us for today's dose. Well, welcome, everyone. Uh, Today's guest is William Wright. Uh, William... Uh, was introduced to me by way of Brian Kosninski. Some of you guys know him as Kaz. He operates True North Trout up in Boyne City. William, welcome to the show. Thanks. Yeah, happy to be here and share our project. William and his friends are about to embark uh, on a large, large journey. And uh, it's all done in hopes of shutting down Pipeline 5. So, uh, Stick around. You're going to want to hear all the details for this. But first, uh, a little bit about William and his background. Tell us uh, where you grew up and by your formative years. Absolutely. So um, the vast majority of my life is spent a little bit south of the Michigan border from Fort Wayne, Indiana. So that's actually kind of where I'm from, but also my two buddies that I'm doing this with, Christy Honda and Davis Huber, we've been uh, in Fort Wayne kind of the vast majority of our life until college. Um, but um, it's a great place. We're Indiana corn-fed, not far from the border, and, and uh, spent a lot of my time up in Michigan as well uh, from Petoskey area. Um, that's where I kind of I grew up all summers, um, kind of once my family couldn't make the trip to northern Wisconsin anymore where they used to go. So that's a, a very near and dear special place in my heart. Um, but um, yeah, Indiana is kind of where I would say home home is. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you grew up in Fort Wayne and your two, your two buds who are doing this trip with you grew up in Fort Wayne as well, um, tell me a little bit about your childhood. Does it involve these guys? Absolutely. Um, we went to school with each other. Uh, we're kind of different grades, but a smaller school um, and we were really, it started as, as competitors. We, you know, in Fort Wayne, it's a great place. It's a big suburb of sorts. So what we did was sports. Um, and so we would be always competing against each other, whether it was, uh, we, we were actually very into, into the tennis circuit. Um, so, uh, we always playing each other there and then we're teammates kind of throughout high school. Um, but you know, we've been together for ages really great friends, uh, and stayed really well in contact post, uh, Fort Wayne, post college. We all kind of split up, went different ways. Uh, do you have any siblings? Oh yeah. Uh, a big part of who I am, I guess, uh, I am one of five, but we're all within seven years. So we're very close knit. It, it was a good lifestyle. Like I said, all we did was sports where well, that means, you know, getting to the community pool or, uh, you know, playing soccer between two trees in the backyard. That was just, you know, constantly there's three boys two girls uh very very close my oldest brother craig is four years older than me and then i have a brother thomas who is one year uh, older than me fun way to grow up okay so the sister your two sisters fall between there absolutely so i have a, a sister caroline who is in between craig and thomas uh two years above and a little sister sarah the baby um but now we're all grown up spread across the u.s 
What brought you into a passion for the outdoors? It started, as I mentioned, kind of up in northern Wisconsin. Uh, my family, both my mom and my dad, are from the Chicago area um, before they ended up settling in Fort Wayne. But um, my dad and his family would have a small cabin up in Manaqua, Wisconsin. And he kind of grew up doing some crazy activities, actually part of the Manaqua Bats, which is a, a ski team organization where they would do pyramids. They would be sending people up on paragliders, you know, jumping and all that kind of stuff. Um, the generations before wakeboarding and flipping and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's my, my focus on the water and, and the activities is really rooted in my, in my dad. Um, extreme, like still, if he goes up to the lake, you know, he works. So he gets up there for, for the weekends and he'll be hitting four or five activities is, is a good weekend for him, whether it's biking or stuff like that. So, um, that's where we learned it. And, and, uh, that's probably what I'll keep on doing. So dad's kind of a multidisciplinary athlete who's, uh, who doesn't really stop at skiing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he just, he loves the, the lake. It's, it's his happy place. So, uh, he, he passed that along. And just by the way that you're smiling, uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and assume that that's a good relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Um, both my mom and my dad, uh, my dad works a ton, um, during kind of our young times and, um, but was always there to kind of do activities with us during the, the weekend. But my mom ran the show, absolutely ran the show with five of us, uh, in those close proximity for all the summers that she had to deal with us. Um, she's the authority without doubt, but really a, kind of a, a happy childhood. What do you love most about your mom? Then we're going to transition. Oh man, my mom, she, like I said, she'll, she'll dictate everything and but she's also like we call it team right so whenever you need her she'll be there to back you up um um she was there to discipline she was there to shape you but now you know post getting out of her house it's it's less of of the the telling you what to do and just kind of making sure that that you are supported in any way really it's she, she's a great woman tell us about the adventure story that you're going to share with us today and uh Kind of give us the backdrop to that that uh, setting. So the adventure story, um, it's kind of rooted in last year and uh, sneak peek. It it kind of inspired the the journey that you were mentioning. So um, last year we obviously had more time on our hands, work, working remote, um, had some time to be up in Michigan for literally seven straight months. And uh, Chris and I have always kind of wanted to paddle to each other's houses, um, which is, you know, starting on Walloon Lake, going down the Bear River, connecting Walloon to the uh, mouth of Petoskey, right there at the harbor. And then from the harbor of Petoskey, you kind of work westward, southwest, um, to past Charlevoix into Grand Traverse Bay to Elk Rapids. Um, that was just, it was only for fun, just to 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 have a good time with some friends and it grew up a little bit when we, we brought in two others, uh, Tommy McNabb and Davis Huber. Um, and, and Davis being into film was like, Hey, well, just for fun, why don't we film this? We'll just make a quick 10 minute video. And so that was the conception of it. Um, but it didn't all, it didn't all go to plan. Okay. So you were going to stand up paddleboard to Chris's place. How far is it? It's only like 70 miles. And well, I, only like 70 miles. 
Yeah, most like 50 to 70 miles. I can't remember exactly. Most people haven't ridden a bike that far. <laughs> well, we didn't do it all in one day. Um, uh, we, we planned to do it in about six days. Um, and we were much slower. We realized we're much slower uh, with a film crew because we had three paddle boards. Um, and one of our buddies, Tommy, didn't actually – like he knew how to paddle, but he's never gone for any long distance. Um, while Chris is a really kind of an experienced paddle, uh, even, you know, stronger than I am for sure. He used to kind of do paddleboard races, uh, in the summer up there. Um, and then Davis was in a kayak with his film stuff. Um, so we were much slower than we expected. Um, but, but the real problem came in our journey when, um, we got hit by a storm that was much larger than we expected. Um, and with this fun journey, unlike the one that we're planning now, we were kind of more constrained by, you know, taking time off from work had, you know, by next Monday, we had to be back in the office type stuff. Um, so we couldn't really mess with the time that we were going to do it. We just were under, uh, the control of mother nature. Um, so once we kind of got to the big water, everything was going to plan. We're on Lake Michigan and we hit, you know, heading towards Charlevoix going westward and, um, the storm came in and it was a, it was honestly a big one. Um, we got to the point where it was hucking 30, you know, 30 to 40 mile per hour winds at us, but we were far, we were beached by the time we even got that high because on a paddleboard, you can't really paddle into too much wind, your sail, and you just go backward. Um, so we got hit by like large three to four foot waves out there, uh, and, and eventually got pushed kind of to the highway 31 area that runs around the coast and not in the campground. Um, so we were just kind of on this, uh, on this, uh, highway picnic stop, um, for about two days straight, uh, in, in a tent, we called it a little gypsy village because we had the, uh, our, our ropes that we had hanging from tree to tree with all of our underwear and, and clothes that were soaked hanging up right by all the cars driving by. Um, and so, yeah, we ended up staying there for two days, two to three days without having being able to move at all um, and somehow entertain yourself in, in, in two small tents. Um, but needless to say, we, we weren't able to make it to Elk Rapids. We failed. <laughs> okay. So you three other buddies, 70 miles, you've got, you've got kind of a forced itinerary cause you got to be back to work on the following Monday and a gnarly, gnarly storm comes in out of nowhere, right at the mouth of the big lake. You guys are holed up for two days. What'd you do to pass time? Play cards? Oh yeah, we had we had some cards. We did some filming. We did some interviews, but the interviews were weird because we were like, we're seeing, we're like in a green tent and the lighting's all weird. <laughs> um, I honestly can't even remember what we did. So I wish I could tell you more. I mean, it's a lot of nothing. <laughs> Were you talking June, July, 60 degrees up or was it, was it cold? What? You know, even I was falling in a little bit during that time and it is cold out there. Even during that time, um, pretty much at any time on Lake Michigan, it's pretty cold. It definitely pulls up the adrenaline and, and, and it's like exhausting and, and it could not have continued type of situation. So you, yeah, you ended up cutting short. How did you get off of the, the perch that you guys had been marooned on? 
So that was probably, let's say, fourth or fifth day. And so uh, when it finally cleared up, we would be getting up really early in the morning, paddling on, on, on calm waters. We ended up getting to Charlevoix and trying to debate, could we make the run to Elk Rapids? Um, it's all based on the wind, and, and the wind was not favorable. It was a beautiful day, but it's still not wind that you, you want to be chasing down the waves. Um, so we ended up being like, okay, we have one more day left. Like, Let's turn back towards Petoskey. Uh, get to kind of the place by the road and, and and try to call for help once we kind of expended our time. But we just had another day on the beach camping with buddies, and that was kind of what we wanted the trip to be anyways. So that was a fine ending. We were kind of disappointed we didn't make it. But, again, it really opened our eyes, and we had a, had a good time doing it. That's cool. Um, if you had to summarize a life lesson that you took from your uh, – from the ill-fated attempt at, uh, at getting to Chris's place, what would that, what would that be? I think it's twofold. So one of them is more tactical and one of them is a little bit more, um, uh, impactful on our lives. So one of the tactical ones was you got to plan for the unexpected. We saw that there was possibly a, a storm coming, and if we wanted to accomplish that goal, like if that was our, our full thing, we, we should have allotted for more time. We should have had time, extra time on the back end. We should have left earlier. I think we could have left a day or two earlier. I think that's going to be super applicable to our upcoming trip, which is great. And we're starting to build in extra time, making sure we don't have to go back to work right away. Um, and um, so that was, that's, again, more tactful, tactical what we can get better on if we do this again, the learning curve. Um, the other life lesson was get involved. You can't sit back and expect that the opinions you have or the issues that you want to be complete would be done in the way you want. Um, you have to get involved. You have to like, what could we do? That's what we said at that moment. And we thought, well, well, you know, Chris and I don't have any real skills that can help in this, in this fight. You know, we could join up with oil and water. We could do certain things, but, um, with Davis there and, and our affinity for adventure, that's what we can do. We, we're not going to sit on our hands anymore. Um, and I think you, we can take that on going further past this is that first of all, I found incredible enjoyment diving down this creating doing, um, for an issue that, you know, I might believe in or, um, for, um, just even for my own well-being, like this is a goal. This is something outside of my job, something that I'm doing specifically kind of us. Um, so getting involved has been truly great for my, for my, for my mindset. And then also, um, diving into your passions and, and, and doing is in my opinion, just a strong thing that we should be doing onward. So after you guys called it quits, you came up with a, a bigger game plan. So now let's talk about the, the game plan that formed and uh, the, the 425-mile trip. Yeah, absolutely. So if you remember anybody who was along the coast of Michigan um, or Huron, for that matter, saw extreme water levels last year. Um, and so this was kind of like in the height of that time where 
wall in. It's completely fine. You know, everything flows downhill. And then we get out to the big water and you see kind of what all this excess water is doing. Um, so we looked up as soon as you kind of leave Petoskey and you head towards Charlevoix, there's this, you know, great lake path that everybody uses um, to bike and, and, and walk into town. And you could see a massive landslide that took out, you know, a portion almost to the road of, of, of land and, and definitely the path and trees all kind of going downhill and massive erosion. Um, and that's not to say, you know, then we'd be passing people's houses. And once you get to kind of steeper terrain, you're seeing that the waves that used to be breaking 20 feet away from, from the kind of the elevation change are now hitting that, you know, those rocks hitting the, the, the side of, of, of the elevation and just, you know, stripping away. Like you could see it. We were kind of towards the end of summer. You could see the roots, you could see sand, you could see everything that's kind of stripping away. Um, so that's kind of where we sat down and, and started to think, well, this is our favorite place. You know, this is, uh, the best place in the world for us. And, I think Chris Yohanda, uh, our fellow paddler, mentioned something like, you know, everybody has their favorite place, but what if that place isn't the same, not in a long time, but in, you know, five to 10 to 20 years, um, which is, you know, a seriously you know, sobering type thought. Um, so we kind of thought about what could we do? What, how, do, how can we get involved? Um, and around this same time, there was an injunction that happened um, in the fight to shut down line five. A judge kind of temporarily shut down one of the pipelines um, to check for damages, I believe, at the time. Not exactly sure. But we saw that notification. Just filling up your news feeds, you mean? Yeah, it gets in out. Chris was a, a follower of Oil and Water Don't Mix. Oh, okay. Um, so he got a kind of a notification from from that organization that, oh, this temporary shutdown, like this is um, a win for us and our organization to try to, you know, permanently shut down this pipeline. Yeah. Um, and so we were like, oh, wow, like this is, you know, something that's also a ticking time bomb, like something that wasn't in the front of our mind at all the times. Yes, we've heard of it. And Chris was following for, for years before that. Um, but we're thinking, okay, well, this is maybe something we can't really do too much about the water level changed, nothing, you know, you can make an immediate impact, but, um, with our aspirations and our love for adventure and Davis's really kind of talent with, with the camera and film, um, maybe there's a way that we don't have to sit on our hands and we can keep going and do something that combines what we love, uh, with saving what we love. So, um, that was kind of the thought that kind of spurred our, our 425 mile excursion that we're going to do this summer. I think you and I probably have some differing perspectives. Um, but I'm not going to let that sidetrack the fact that you and I share a common thread that is passion for the outdoors, passion for adventure and concern for the, the world around us. You educated yourself with Enbridge line five, and its potential detriment to the Great Lakes system. And you came up with a game plan to get involved. That's going down this June on the 10th 
and it starts at the Mackinac Straits. Tell us about your plan. Uh, okay, so as you mentioned, spurred from the conversations on the beach from our first trip and uh, a year of, of morphing and planning, and honestly, the trip has gotten longer the longer we've been waiting. Um, we decided to start on Mackinac Island on June 10th, plus or minus, based on weather. We need, we need good weather to make sure we can cross those really tumultuous straits on paddleboards. Um, so we'll start on Mackinac, um, make our way. That's where the Line 5 pipeline is. So that'll be, you know, a portion of our film is to, to stop there. But then, you know, this one will be kind of the next stop is, is important to your viewers because they'll recognize the name. But uh, we're going to hit Wilderness State Park there and meet up with Brian Kaz um, and do some some fishing off the paddle boards, we think. Yeah. So, so we're going to be coming down the west coast of Michigan. Um, we're going to be hitting some highlights. We're going to be doing interviews uh, kind of as we go. Um, we've got a, quite a few open water stretches we need to pass. And so Davis, our, our film crew, will be there kind of in a boat at those times, uh, just making sure, you know, for those 10-mile stretches that we don't get marooned halfway down um and um conducting interviews seeing beautiful sites like the manitou islands the sleeping bear dunes working our way down um, um davis you know might, might at times um where we might not be as a as in need of a, a support boat uh he'll probably be going around michigan getting other interviews uh heading to sarnia to get interviews um um going to Notre Dame to talk with some scientists, stuff like that. Um, and we'll be touching on kind of the uh, four issues um, around water quality, climate change, uh, invasive species, and line five. And we're going to use that story to eventually get to Lansing. And um, once we get to Lansing, a little bit after uh, the activist organizations that we've partnered with um, are throwing a, a rally in support of um, there, the administration, this one, you know, rallies just around line five. And that's going to be at this point, you know, could change, but August 22nd. Um, so that's like the full, the full path of our journey. Um, so Mackinac Island hit the Traverse Bays, then the Grand River at, at, at Grand Haven. Um, once we get there, do a fishing trip um, with the workman crew, the workman outfitters crew if in the Grand Rapids area. So it's going to be quite a long trip. Wow, man. Okay. So that's Mackinac Island to Grand Haven on the big lake. And then you move inland and you're going to be doing flat water up current. So you're going to be going upstream on the Grand River. Um, it's going to be a lot of early mornings trying to avoid that one o'clock high winds. It's not going to be like beautiful weather the whole time. We're going to be waking up crack of dawn probably before dawn on some days just to make sure we can get a quick you know 10 miles in um yeah and that's the game plan are you shooting for 10 miles each day uh i said 10 but we're probably trying to hit somewhere around 15 because okay. we're going to have um some days where off days um where we're not going to do stuff and then during some of those times we're going to be interviewing and and you know spending some time on land um along the path so but yeah, if you do the math, it comes to about, you know, 13 or so miles if we're shooting for 45 days. Um, that's a day, so. Talk to me a little bit about the fatigue involved. It's not like running a marathon and then a marathon, then a marathon, then a marathon to get down there. Um, from what we were on the first trip, which was much smaller, and we had a big 
big gap uh, in where we couldn't do anything for two days, we were still like bonked of sorts once we got back, like extremely tired. Um, and, and that's when we, you know, were able to actually sit in, on couches and beds. And so we're never going to be able to do that for literally a month and a half. Um, so I, I, I'm positive fatigue will be kind of leading to tensions between probably Chris and I, as we're, you know, the only two people that will be there at times. Um, and I don't think that, and this might be my own naivety, but I don't think it's as bad as the marathons after marathon because we are on water, we are on a paddle, so it shouldn't be as bad on the joints, bad on, you know, um, I'm sure our upper body and our back will be feeling it. Um, but I guess I'll just have to get back to you on that because it's a little bit of uh, of going into the unknown for us uh, with something that long. We haven't done that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you mentioned uh, just the the strenuous – uh, characteristics of hanging out with one other individual. Uh, this isn't just a stranger. This is one of your best friends. You've got to factor in that dynamic as well. And you already touched on it, but, uh, what's your, what's your contingency plan there? How are you guys going to navigate through, you know, conflict? Well, we will be in the same two person tent for most of it. So I don't think avoidance is possible. (laughs) Um, no, I mean, I think we're just going to have to be open about things immediately. I mean, we already talk about it. We already have, you know, I'm the big planner. I came up with this idea to go the 425 miles. Chris is a big pusher. He wants to do it fast. He wants to, you know, break land speed records, actually not land, water speed records. Um, and so I think there's going to be some give and take on um do we, can we make this open water stretch to get to the Mac, uh, the, the Manitou islands? Like I, that's already kind of some tensions of saying we're going to have to make those decisions when we get there. Um, and so I think we're just going to have to not avoid, be direct, set that up from the beginning, say, Hey, we're going to speak every thought from the beginning. So they don't brew. They don't get bad. Smart. Yeah. Very smart. All right. So what else is going to come into play? You got food caches set up. You got stops along the way that you're going to do interviews with. I got to believe that that's going to be time to resupply, get fed, get showered. Yeah. We'll have a few spots where we might be able to have a warm bed throughout the the trip. Okay. Just from, from friends that we know in the area. Yeah. Um, but I think most of the time is going to be spent finding spots, sleeping on the sand. Um, the good thing about where we are, like this isn't some remote place up in Alaska. This is, we're going to have cell service pretty much the whole time. We're, we're going to be, um, we're going to be, it be close to food whenever we need to. So there's not like that crazy survival aspect to this type of trip. It's definitely more of a, a physical feat and um, trying to share a story, um, which is good because that helps with the logistics. Um, but yeah, we've already we've already purchased about forty five days of of dried um, freeze dried foods, um, and so we'll split that between you know Chris and I, and then I'm sure we'll be able to stop and and get some stuff that we can just cook uh, over the fire for some real meals. So once you get into uh, once you get into the flat water and you start paddling up the Grand. Um... 
Are you thinking you're going to run into some crowds? I mean, the Grand River, I'm, I'm more familiar with just because it's, it flows right through my city. So Grand Rapids uh, was named after the river that, uh, that William and his, and his pals will be on. As you traverse upstream toward Lansing, uh, what do you anticipate? I don't expect crowds. Um, I expect some people to join us at times, but never like um, never too much of a Forrest Gump having everybody follow you and, and creating a movement. Um, I think that this is going to be more told visually afterwards through the film. Um, but like you mentioned, I mean, there will be a crowd in Lansing after our trip. Uh, there's there's a lot of people um the native community is is so embedded in this issue um too so they they are very passionate and they usually show up with great numbers um in support of shutting down line five um as well as you know who else oil and water don't mix and and clean water action and and for love of water flow who they can organize so there probably will be a decent crowd in, in lansing at that point uh, at the end, but I don't expect it to be, you know, selfishly, it's not going to be about our journey. <laughs> it's going to be about the issues. Um, and so I wouldn't expect a ton of conflict or, or crowds around it. Um, but maybe again, that's my naivety. I think there's something really cool about being 26, not too tied down and, uh, doing something that you truly believe in. There's something to be said about that. There's a, there's a wild, wire, wiry hair inside of all of us that yearn for adventure like that. And I just, uh, I love it. I love watching what you guys are doing. Um, I wish you the best. I hope that this trip goes well. I, I'm uh, mostly out for, I'm, I'm rooting for safety. I'm rooting for a heck of a time, a lot of laughs, some challenges. I sincerely hope you guys encounter some challenges, not because <laughs> I'm some sort of weird, sadistic. You know, Masochist. Right, right, but because I know how much texture that adds to the character of the story. Uh, it just really helps um, those lessons become transferable uh, in hardship, in the wilderness, always somehow ties in to strength absolutely yeah i hope uh i hope you guys remain incredibly close friends and that your friendship only grows closer um before we wrap up here uh, i would love to try and and just ask uh a couple more questions regarding maybe purpose and drive and maybe the why behind all of it i think we gathered some of that earlier on when you arrive in Lansing, you said that, you know, you're despite maybe some of your, your admitted naivety, you don't anticipate any sort of, of conflict or hubbub. Um, I hope you're right. But at the same time, what, I mean, it's plausible that there could be a lot of attention around this. Um, it's a media platform that Governor Whitmer built her entire candidacy upon, or at least she built it around that central focal point. Um, so it's going to get some, some attention. If you guys, uh, if you guys hit the right outlets, I can imagine there's going to be some people talking about it and some people showing up. 
a lot of those people I, I am going to imagine are cheering you on and uh, applauding your cause. There's going to be some people who may stand in opposition to that. Um, talk to me a little bit about what you guys anticipate. If there are crowds, how are you going to handle yourselves? What What is your message uh, going to be to somebody who's maybe not so uh, amicable with their words? Um, yeah, talk, talk to me a little bit about I think the only thing we can do is is listen. Right? I'm not I'm not here to to try to force you to take my opinion. I'm not here to do anything along that sorts. Uh what we want to do with the film is is outline the issue. And yes, I have some of my own thoughts, but you have to try to separate some of that when you're talking about, you know, uh, who you're going to interview, who you're going to listen to. And if there's people, we want to tell it from, you know, the every person's opinion. It doesn't have to be some scientists. So if we can get in front of some people that are passionate for whichever side, I guarantee you their voice will be heard from our project. Um, and that's what we would do. We, we would listen. Um, that's it. Yeah, I don't, the, the, the bias is going to be there. I just think it is because of the documentary uh, the, the way that you're going to do it is you're going to hand select your, your candidates for who's speaking to whom, um, in more controlled environment. And I think your bias that you bring in are going to speak toward who you select, who you, who you guys choose to, to, you know, engage in those, those type of conversations. Um, so I think that it's going to have, I mean, you're, you're the, the basis of your film is to try and shut down a pipeline. So the backbone has to be stiff. And if you're going to make, if you're going to maintain the claim that you're trying to shut down pipeline five, um, I just don't think it lines up specifically with, yeah, we're not going to try and be, be too brash or we're not going to try and be too loud or we're not going to be trying to bring a bias into this or force people what to think that's that to me seems more like an oil and water conversation. Like that doesn't, it doesn't quite line up in my mind. Um, so I, I don't know if that's an encouragement to you guys to like, Hey, maybe, maybe ask those questions of yourself with the utmost intentionality and maybe you have, and, and maybe it's maybe it's awfully presumptuous for me to just assume you haven't. But it would strike me that other people may feel the way that I feel right now, where they just kind of go, "These guys are truly passionate about shutting down a pipeline. They're going to use their film to propel that message." I would say, don't don't go into it saying, "Yeah, you know, we're we're trying to keep it cash." If you're going to be on fire, be on fire. If you're going to be casual about it do it just for the adventure. You're right. It's going to be hard to separate our innate bias. But what we can do to try to combat that is show, show the other side, let them have a platform and, and, and not try to give incredible amounts of screen time to one side. If you outline the issue as best you can and you're right, it might be hard in our own talks and our own um, 
interviews of, of us and me and Chris to not give our opinion, which we probably will. Um, but we should outline both sides and, and not try and let each side know, because we've already done a lot of preliminary interviews, what the other side is saying, right? This shouldn't be a, oh, I go to Enbridge and I set them up to give um, me certain information. And then I go back to our activist buddies and say, this is what they said, rebuke it. What we've seen in the news in the last 18 months shows us that when Americans stand in opposition, generally uh, things don't go well. We don't play nice. We don't do conflict very well. We don't engage in dialogue very well. We're selfish. We're, we're self-centered. We're loud. We're brash. Uh, we're not willing to hear um, the other side of a story. We listen to rebuke and we listen to refute. We don't listen to understand. Um, we're just we're nasty to each other. And I'm just going, how do you not... How do, you, how do you carry out something that you guys stand so hard for, you stand so strongly for, um, but keep it from reaching the point of ugly? Is it possible? I think it is. And, and, and I would love for, for us to retrospectively look at this and, and see what the end product is like and, and learn from, from that experience. But I mean, how else are any kind of documentary, is your opinion that, you know, any sort of documentary then that kind of outlines an issue, you, there's opinions behind those, right? But a good one will at least not be so overt and try to shove your, theirs on you. And that's what we're hoping to do. And that's just for the Line 5 issue, right? That's a divisive one. That's why it's, I think it's the most powerful issue we might touch on in this film. Dude, I really hope that you guys can accomplish that. And I would love to see that uh, be maybe a new trend that we start to see. Maybe you guys start a grassroots movement of, of passionate, truly convicted environmental slash conservationist, young adults, we'll just say, that uh, move into territory that was previously hugely contentious and you, you approach it with a different posture. Maybe you rewrite the script. Maybe we change the world. Go do it, man. <laughs> All right. I'm down for it. All right, man. Have a wonderful trip. Stay safe. Thank you. Sure. This is great. Appreciate it. And we'll be in touch for anything that we do going forward.